It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. Kevin Sully and Lincoln Shrike. And on today's episode... For Friday, we have a special treat. Tyler Day is joining us from his childhood home in Arizona. Tyler, thank you so much for hopping on. How you doing? Good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Obviously, there's been a lot of changes in the running world over the past couple of weeks. How has it been for you ever since the news came down that indoors was canceled and then outdoors as well? Um, it's, I would say it's been a whirlwind of a week. Uh, I feel like as, as humans, we're, we're kind of creatures that follow in line with like, like schedules per se. Like, even if you say that you don't have a schedule, you still have like things to do. Like, oh, I go out to eat at this place or, oh, I meet at this place. But now with the virus going around, not only did it, you know, cancel the season, but also like school for, I think all the institutions in America have switched to online. I know all the high schoolers and elementary school kids have, uh, are off school until essentially the end of the month. And so, uh, yeah, I would say like right now, I feel like, yeah, I just kind of been sitting around, I've been reading a lot, but yeah, just not being able to follow a set schedule has been very interesting <laughs> per se. Um, but it's also kind of a sense of a freedom too. So it's been cool to have the freedom, but it's kind of sad the way how we essentially earn that freedom, uh, I would say. But yeah, been been holding it down, been doing better. What was the the process like? I, I, you seem to be in better spirits now than you were then. What's been the the progression of your own your own feelings? Um. So yeah, initially I was just super super distraught. I think that's you know. I've, I, I can't be the only one that was feeling that. Um, but yeah, I was just super sad uh, that, you know, everything that, you know, all these people at all these teams and respective events categories were working towards. And all of a sudden it just, yeah, get ripped out from under them. And so, uh, yeah, I felt super distraught, super sad. But then Smith kind of took us to his side and just be like, hey, if we're being pissed off or we're being sad over a race, over a silly game, then we are essentially rich in our life. And that kind of put in perspective, like <laughs> the world doesn't evolve around you. Nothing really goes according to plan. And this just kind of keeps you in check that, yeah, what we've had this whole entire time, this track and field thing, uh, if you want to call it, has been a blessing. And uh, yeah, so that definitely put me in better spirits. Like, hey, it's not the end of the world. I know there's more races to run in the future. But I think initially I was just sad that like potentially my time at NAU could be done before I even crossed the finish line at the at a nationals during my fifth year. So, uh, yeah. So I feel like as a human aspect of it, I know that this will pass for how long. I don't know. It's just the uncertainty of it. But uh, yeah, as a student at the NCAA system, it was just kind of like, you know, is this is my time done? Is this it? Is this how I is this how I essentially go out? So. Tyler, as you mentioned, you're a fifth-year senior. I know the NCAA came out and tentatively said, oh, we'll add a season of eligibility, given that no one got to run or compete in the spring season. 
have you thought at all about that? Are you are you going to try to come back? I know it's only been a week or so, but but what are your thoughts on that? And then obviously somebody who's run as quick as you have and has, has been successful, you've got to be thinking about going professional as well. Where are you at with that decision, even in this short time frame? Um, yeah, I'm just taking it time by time. I feel that's all you can do uh, during this time. But, uh, but yeah, no, the eligibility, that was reassuring to hear. Um, and it's also kind of nice to hear that, you know, if I was trying to seek becoming a professional and trying to see what's in the waters, uh, yeah, I could potentially fall back to college. Uh, I could potentially then start probably like a master's degree if I do come back. Because I'm already going to graduate with my undergrad at the end of this year. Whether or not the coronavirus is going to stop in people's classes, they put it online. So I still have to graduate school first. Uh, but, um, but yeah, no, it's a... Uh, it's been like playing with my mind. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about it. Uh, I've kind of been talking back and forth with both Cornfield, Coach Cornfield, our assistant coach, and obviously Coach Smith, our head coach. And so, um, yeah, uh, just the possibilities of wondering what is life after running. Uh, kind of been venturing those avenues to see what's up. But other than that, I just kind of been, you know, trying to work on the present now, like just go out, run whenever I can, um, stay in contact with the teammates via group messages and group chats to see if everyone's okay. So um, as far as I know for the future, for me, I just been trying to keep in contact with teammates to see if they're all good and trying to focus on the now and, um, and then kind of potentially focus on the future just a little bit. I know that you're not professional at this point. You mentioned, you don't know if you're going to come back or not, but you've been running so well. You obviously knew you were, you're a strong professional candidate. Did you, do you have a sense of how this pause has affected athletes that are trying to still go professional going into the spring and the summer, not knowing if the Olympics are going to happen, if the trials are going to happen? Do you have any sense of that? Um, I mean, I, I, I believe that like there is a sense of like, you know, there could be like hopelessness out there. I mean, I know I'm very fortunate to be able to run fast times to be able to know that, okay, I pretty much, you know, if, if this is donezo for me in the NCAA system, then I know that I have a really good chance of, you know, being on a team just because of my background and the pedigrees I've earned at NAU. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, excuse me, they're not as uh, well off, you know, in that area. And I, I think for them, it might be a sense of like, you know, hopelessness. And I think just, I think you just have to keep on working. You just kind of have to treat this as, you know, especially if you have another year of eligibility, you know, like you could take upon that, especially for like those fourth year seniors, um, you use up for a fifth year and for the fifth year seniors, I could see them, you know, I could see some of them actually do come back and probably come back in a bigger way. So a lot of this could be kind of like a reset button to see like, Hey, like, am I willing to go port, go forth an extra effort, even though I already gave it all that I gave already, or is this the end of the line? So I think it's a little bit of hopelessness, but also I could see a lot of people turn that hopelessness into seeing well can i further myself can this actually benefit me what can i do with this interesting mm -hmm. situation or predicament that i have been put in because of the ncaa and because of this virus have you been running this week or did you did you take this week off uh so yeah initially after ncaa's i took a few days off just kind of reset regroup and just kind of yeah come back down because right now this is essentially my spring break so what else than travel to Phoenix, Arizona, like every other, you know, kid, they usually travel past the border and go down to Mexico, but I kind of stopped before the border and stopped by in Phoenix. But, um, but yeah, no. Uh, and so for me, I just kind of want to see my family, say hi to them. My parents traveled out to New Mexico and I wasn't able to see them or touch base with them. And I haven't seen my sister forever. She works at Walmart. So just hearing the horror stories that she had to go through, uh, during her, her job there was pretty crazy, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to see my family and uh, come down. But yeah, I've been running a little bit, been on and off, kind of coming back into form, but uh, or just you know try to keep a slow, steady base and kind of build up and try to nurture any ailments if I ever had, or just kind of essentially put a big reset. Um, and been trying to cross train too, so been doing that. There isn't any real precedent to this, which is why it's so difficult, not just for athletes, but everybody through all walks of life what are you drawing on to get through this? Is there some sort of template that you're working together or multiple things that you're cobbling together to put yourself in, in this right mindset? 
my mom was talking to my grandparents one time and my grandparents said the last time they had this much like hysteria or uncertainty was when the polio crisis came out and if anyone knows their history uh um like that was pretty it was major you know that affected a lot of americans and killed a lot of americans and i mean not just americans but even people already and to find the vaccine they immediately you know tested on people saw their work and you know, made sure it worked out. So essentially my grandparents kind of relate this to a polio crisis. Um, you know, it's not really something you really want to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's just, you just have to take it one day at a time. Uh, I mean, again, like uncertainty is the one things I feel uncomfortable with and I feel anyone else feel uncomfortable with. You kind of want to know what happens, you know, that's why people seek out fortune tellers because they want to know what their future holds or, um, or all that fun jazz. And I think it's just essentially, we just have to learn to actually live in the present. Like instead of talking about, Oh, live in the present, but yet still kind of think about the future. Now we still have to actively think in the present and be like, Hey, what do I have today? Well, I'm surrounded by my family. I know that everyone else I love and care about is okay. And I know that, you know, we're all taking the safety precautions or all the precautions to be safe. So it's just essentially just, yeah, live each day. Like, you know, it's doing your best. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to put like a Debbie down on it. Like, Oh, it's the like end of everything. But I think just, yeah, taking it one day at a time is a lot better than being like, Oh no, like this is going to be months. This is going to be years. Like what's going to happen, you know? And also coach Smith has been sending us emails and it's been really reassuring saying like, you know, Hey guys, like, you know, I love every one of you. You guys are, great if you need any support we're here so knowing that also your hierarchy your coaches that you know see you more than just an athlete see you as a human being and see you as a person with feelings and um you know other emotions are you saying hey like if all else fails like we're here for you you know no matter what so it's been reassuring as well what were some of your sister's crazy stories from walmart okay so i think i think my sister was about to throw hands with some elderly woman because uh yeah don't mess with kendall day so put that on dog note um but yeah you think i'm a crazy dude don't don't mess with kendall um but anyway uh yeah she she told me that i think this elderly woman i don't know what age but my sister said some elderly woman was uh yeah accusing her of like oh you don't know when like the next shipment's coming in and my sister's like no i just work here like so there's a lot of people that are like accusatory that are just like oh you're hiding something that we don't know and my sister's like i can't even get toilet paper for my own family like <laughs> I, yeah. i'm just i'm here so i can try to make fuck during this crazy time that's about like to extent like her i haven't heard any of like stories of her like picking up fights or like her like you know dodging like flying like you know condiments or like shampoos but uh, but yeah just i think her just being <laughs> very uh calm when you know everything was kind of going to chaos is what i draw from that is like you know my sister being a strong person for me i would have lost my cool and be like you know listen betty white like this isn't for you like it's time to get out of here but <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's a uh, yeah. Like the crazy thing is just my sister just like biting her lip and just telling me the people's responses. So I noticed the. Uh, I'm just thinking things off my head. I know you're an Arizona sports fan, being a native Arizonan. Yeah. The uh, they see the Cardinals helmet. Are you excited about DeAndre Hopkins? <laughs> you have no idea, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, I heard that DeAndre Hopkins like landed in the bird's nest. I was like, there is no way. There is no way that the that the Houston Texans would trade their best wide receiver not just on their team but in the NFL and plus for Arizona you know it's you never hear any like big name like studs ever come here during their prime obviously we had Emmett Smith come to the Arizona but you know all of his primaries were with the Cowboys we had Adrian Peterson come here but again all of his prime time was with the Vikings and maybe a little bit of the Redskins, but mostly the Vikings. So a lot of the time when we do get big name athletes, their prime years is already behind them. Minus Larry Fitzgerald, hashtag loyalty. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but no, getting that acquisition was, yeah, really, really exciting. So I was really pumped to hear about that. I thought it was fake. Um, obviously, David Johnson was a great running back for us. Um, he went to the University of Northern Iowa. My family's from Iowa. So it was kind of nice to have that um, cool, like, you know, background to that. But uh, other than that, yeah, I, we knew that David Johnson was kind of on his way out and, uh, 
yeah, getting DeAndre Hopkins, I'm like pumped. And DeAndre Hopkins seems pumped too. It's social media, so I don't know how he responds, but like how he felt by responding it, but he seems to be rising up at the Red Sea. So I'm really pumped about that. Well, what's your Phoenix sport team rankings as far as Diamondbacks, Cardinals, and and Suns? Okay, so I'm pretty biased because I'm a huge Diamondbacks fan. I grew up imagining I was going to be a World Series champion, an all-star with the Diamondbacks at, you know, catching position because, like, you know, I'm built like a, you know, wall. But, um, but yeah, no, I had dreams of trying to be an Arizona Diamondbacks player for my whole entire life. And so, yeah, Diamondbacks are first for me. And I've been getting into the Coyotes recently. Oh, I hockey. forgot about hockey. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, we have hockey in the desert. I know it's crazy <laughs> to think about that. Um, yeah, the ice cube doesn't melt just yet. Um, <laughs> but, but the Coyotes have been doing good. They've been really uh, making me mad because they were in a wild card position for the Stanley Cup playoffs when they were slowly backing their way out. So when the virus hit, hopefully they have time to train at their own houses. So when we do hit the ice again, we could probably make a playoff push. Yeah. Um, but I'll put them like tied with the Cardinals. And then obviously I love my sons. Uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty big Suns fan. And, you know, just having this decade of, you know, not going to these championships. And I mean, it wasn't even like, oh, we just missed the playoffs. Like we've absolutely missed the mark entirely. Um, it's it's really hard to see them make improvements, but then mostly make the prove like, like not improve. And so, yeah, I would probably go Diamondbacks, uh, Coyotes, uh, Cardinals, and then Suns. Cardinals are third just because I haven't seen what they can do with DeAndre Hopkins, but I'm pretty sure after that first preseason game, I'm going to be the dude that's typing like Cardinals 2021 Super Bowl champions. You heard it here. <laughs> so. Well, I asked you to rank your sports teams. How about let's take it to, to your indoor season. The two memorable ones, at least for fans, uh, would have been the thirteen, the two races at BU, the thirteen sixteen, and then the 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 fast three K with with your teammates. Uh, how did those two performances stack up for you? Which one was more special? And I guess just kind of run through what each of those races was like for you this year. Yeah, so um, I would say the five K for me and by 5k when I say more special I'm not talking about like oh here's the 5k and here's the 3k yeah, like yeah. way down below they're like just on top of each other but I would say the 5k has like just a little bit of a lead excuse me because it was my first race back from what I was essentially say a really tough like track season um my indoor season uh last year was not up to par to my standards and to what I wanted to be and then outdoor season, I did have that flashing moment of that thirteen twenty five. But overall, you know, you know, not kind of underperforming at outdoor nationals. And then the first time I represented the United States, I you know, I underperformed there as well. I really wanted a time to reset and come back in a big way. So after training that cross country season, having that first indoor track race, running that five k, it was a big step in the right direction and a step that I thought I would, I wouldn't be uh, strong enough to even take. Um, and yeah, and so that was kind of a big way. And also to get that close to an Olympic standard that was already changed, you know, this wasn't like the Olympic standard that before Sebco had the ruling, I was already close to like, like, you know, this is already a, a pretty quick time and be that close to it has been, um, very insane. And so I would say that's a little bit special in the three K, but the three K is super special. Cause I got to do it with teammates. We got to do it when I would say there was somewhat pressure. I mean, we saw, you know, the Husky invite 3K go off. We saw a bunch of these fast 3Ks go off. So we knew that we had to rip it. And <laughs> we essentially have to run faster than we ever have for a 3K before. Uh, my PR going into that 3K, um, I know it's on T-First, but I ran it when I redshirted. It was a 753, 750, or 754. But a lot of people are like, oh, he's only 8-minute 3K guy. So, but last year, as hard as I could, I ran an 801 3K. And that's like literally with all my might, I ran that Iowa State. And then, yeah, but being able to run that 754 with, with friends, with teammates, um, in a very exciting race, uh, it was, that was also special as well. So yeah, 5k was special just because of like the significance of making a step forward was great. But the 3k was for me great. Cause I got to run them with friends and two of the best teammates I've ever had, uh, in doing so there too. Um, yeah. Tyler, going back to the the, the five thousand a bit, because after you ran that race, Lincoln and I did a little breakdown for it. And when you passed Eric Jenkins, I just tried to transport myself 
into your mind because Eric Jenkins is a big name. And I think we went back to, was it 2015 or 2016? The same weekend that Eric Jenkins won NCAA titles, I looked up where you were racing on that same weekend and you got like eighth at the Chandler Rotary Invitational 3200. Now, no disrespect to the Chandler Rotary Invitational. I'm sure it's a great meet, but you beat an, a guy, you know, one of the one of the legends of the NCAA and also a guy who's gone on and been competitive at the world level. What was that like when you actually went past him? So when I when I went past him, I didn't go as so far as just like, what was I doing like five, <laughs> five years ago? Um, but to be That's fair, in that Chandler Rotary race, job. yeah, in that Chandler Rotary race, I actually got clipped and I fell in that race. So if that time seems slow, I fell. Oh. <laughs> um, Come on, Kevin. It just so makes the just, story just that much better. Out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so during the race, when I was, well, first off, during the race, I just want to take a shout out to Matt because I felt so bad because I was kicking the crap out of Matt the whole entire time. Um, I kept on kicking on his heels. I felt so bad that I think when I when when Matt let me pass, I think it was a relief because I wasn't kicking the crap out of him anymore. And so, yeah, when it came to Eric, I was like, okay, do not kick the crap out of Eric. <laughs> That's just not cool. But yeah, I, for me, when we got back onto Eric's group with Eric and Paul, I think that was just a big step because we lost contact with the group. And I was like, okay, like if we're going to try to get pushed to a fast time, or in my sake, if I was trying to get pushed to an NCAA qualifying time, like I can't, I, like I need to be up with this group. And, uh, and yeah, we, Matt and I worked together. We closed the gap between Eric. And then, yeah, when, when I passed Eric, I mean, it was kind of crazy. But I wasn't just like, whoa, I just passed Eric. I'm just like, okay, like the race is almost over. I just passed a runner. There's Paul, like there's another runner in front of me. I just got to stay like competitive. You know, it wasn't just like, whoa, I passed this dude with a bunch of marks, which I'm not trying to, you know, put down Eric. He's a great runner. Um, obviously, his pedigree speak for himself. Um, but for me, it was just like, hey, this is, an, this is just a competition. There's another on the race that I went past. I just need to hold my spot. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's that was essentially like my mind. Then afterwards, I was just like, "Whoa, that was crazy!" But yeah, during the race, I was just kind of like, "I just, I just need to keep chipping forward. I just need to keep, you know, getting after this time." Because if we're all racing for thirteen thirteen, I think during that time in the race, we were a bit off the pace. So it's just like, man, I just gotta like hunker down and try to, you know, get down really hard. So, well, and Tanui, at one point, you're going toe to toe with a guy who's won world championship and Olympic medals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I, I didn't go to bed in Boston thinking like, oh, I can't wait to go toe to toe with like Paul Tanui. I went to bed in Boston with essentially like, hey, our whole entire job here is to hit the NCAA standard in the 5k and get a qualifying mark and not worry about it. Um, I would love to tell you a story that Smith riled us up and saying, hey, you're going to do the coolest thing ever. But literally the only instructions I got from Smith was be com or the two were be competitive and hit an NCAA qualifying mark. That was it. That was <laughs> well, nothing to it. Um, so yeah, it did lead to me being behind Paul, and I was a pretty surreal mo moment. And it kind of told me like, wow, I could actually compete with medalists. Um, but uh, but yeah, again during the race, it was just like, yeah, this is just another competitor that I have to try to get past. Because of how well not only you but virtually all the the big names on NA you had been running. So many people, including our website, we're talking about you all as as potential podium a podium team or even a, a potential indoor champion. And obviously, we'll never know. But internally, were you were you guys talking about that? Was Coach Smith talking about, hey, we can win an indoor uh, indoor team title? And when, I guess, if so, when did that become something that was possible? So, I feel like after the five k we were just like, okay, that was crazy. And then as time went on, we saw that, you know, Theo Quacks ripped a great mile. And after, and even before that, we had Abdi Hamid Nur and Ryan Roth ripped a 5K in the dome. And I know a lot of people's mindset on, oh, elevation conversions, those, those guys are cheap. But yeah, <laughs> running at 7,000 feet at, at a 5K, and they were hitting like 68 pace, I believe. And it was just those two at the end. Like, it wasn't like they were a whole big race. Like, it was just a time trial for them, essentially. And for them to get it done as well, it's just like, okay, not only do we have a lot more people qualifying for internationals than we ever had in school history, but we have people that are hungry and they want it too. It's not like these guys were just happy to be there. Like, they worked their butts off to be there. And I'm not saying that, like, every other team has a guy that's like, just happy to be there. But I know that 
the people there would absolutely bleed for their spots on the line. So it's like, okay, we have the numbers. We have essentially the density in numbers. It was like, we could probably pull off something incredibly ridiculous has never been done in NAU history. And so, I mean, for me, what I got the gist of it was it would be great if we got like a trophy back. So, I mean, it wasn't like we're going to go to nationals and be like, Hey, top four, that's it. Like we are going to try to cheat at like a conference meet, you know, we wanted to compete in the events, try to put up as many points as we could in each of the respective event, event categories that we have. And at the end of the day, see where we ended up, you know, that's just the spirit of competition. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not there for the fame or the fortune. I mean, shoot, if I was there for the fortune, I would have stuck to baseball. But, <laughs> uh, but I think it was essentially just the competition, the art of you against another person and seeing where you place. And we were going to have a big contention come out and kind of support us. And yeah, I felt like if we did get fourth place, we would be treating that like a national title. You know, like we would still be celebrating. If we got third, we'll still be celebrating, you know, like, Regardless, we knew that whatever happens at, at the end of that week, um, we we're going to do something that probably has never been done in NAU history. And to see it, you know, not really being fulfilled or seeing it actually happen, um, it is a bummer. But I think just the sense of us, you know, taking a stab at it and doing something that, you know, typically a non-Power 5 school has ever done, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm proud to say that I could, you know, keep it close to my heart about. Now you obviously know Mike Smith way way better than than I would, but we I'm spoke. Okay, to, dude, dude. <laughs> we don't know. Well, no one really knows. See, I have a theory that Mike Smith's not his real name, but that's just my conspiracy theory. <laughs> I mean, um, you have the name of Mike Smith. That's yeah. like. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go on. Go on. No, no, no. Uh, okay, so we interviewed him a, uh, after the meet was canceled last week, and he said the plan was for you guys in the five thousand was to send somebody out really aggressively to quote set the trap. He mentioned 204 through the 800. That that seems a little crazy. He did have a smile on his face. So I just want to know, was that was that the legitimate plan? I mean, it makes sense, but I just what what kind of was going to be how was the 5K going to play out for NAU with five guys in that race? I heard Abdi Ham was going to take us out in 158. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, I think it's essentially I could see it literally just have, you know, five of us, you know, who qualify in the event kind of come together and be like, hey, like there's five of us. We could do so much damage. Uh, and I think the way that we would have done it was just gas, mm -hmm. gas, gas. Essentially, the uh, the uh, <laughs> the tactic that Matt and I used in Louisville uh, that we, you know, jokingly were talking about. But I think we wanted to get out hard and try to set, you know, the pain in their legs early on and just try to like white knuckle it. But that's just my hypothesis. I'm pretty sure Smith would have thrown a curveball and be like, hey, we're actually going to sit and wait. So for me, I would expect we probably would have gone out hard. At least I would have. Um, and, you know, try to go for broke because I have a day to recover in between the 3K pretty much. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I could see him also just be like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, kind of play in the middle. Don't do anything crazy and then make a move exceedingly far out or maybe make a move once people finally felt comfortable in the race then hit them in the teeth uh but yeah uh those are just my two options essentially but both of them still have to do with gas 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 early on in the race so not so much as like oh we're gonna chill out and go because uh i know i don't fare well that way but also i feel with five guys that are strong aerobically in there i think we could have done some damage if we would strung it out and just make it a suffer fest but I feel and the, vindicated, Lincoln, because I I got one. I didn't got get the Chandler Rotary thirty two hundred right. Mm -hmm. but I predicted that's how any of you would run it. I will never be proven <laughs> right though, because we didn't see the race. But uh, right. it just makes sense. Uh, Tyler, how much extra motivation was there? I know the media talks this stuff up more than maybe it is. So give us give us a little insight. Obviously. Uh, Gordon and Jeremy were following you guys around during the fall. Uh, thank you for that, by the way, because that meant Gordon was in the office less, so we had to deal with him less. So we appreciate you taking <laughs> yeah. that on for well, us. I, mean, I, wasn't, I wasn't really on the team, so like, well, you were around. <laughs> I mean, you were around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that season didn't end the way the, the group of guys wanted it to. How, how much motivation, how much spark was there going into indoors than there would have been in the scenario where they won in cross country? Yeah. Um, I would say like for me personally, like I kind of had to remind people and also Blaze and Cade Burks, uh, Blaze Farrow and Cade Burks did a good job of this. And just kind of remind people like, hey, 
remember when you guys lost cross country or like hey remember when byu beat you because they're like because we remember and we're gonna work hard for it um and so it was essentially just kind of like letting people know like hey yo let's let's work harder now you know like it didn't work out the first time cool let's go back to the tool shed and just essentially you know hack it out if you want to use a lumberjack reference uh <laughs> but um but yeah i think the motivation was just like hey like strong and cross country and an even stronger team beat us and they showed us what we needed to work on and so uh i mean for me that i had like for me personally i worked my butt off that winter season to prepare for that track season and i know that you know a bunch of other people did the same way on the team including the women team um and so yeah i think it was just essentially just reminding people like hey this is what happened across country are we going to have it happen again in track and it was kind of essentially like a heck no so uh yeah it was essentially just hey we're getting back to work um and you know gonna put our best foot forward this time I look at someone like Luis Grijalva, who was running like a man on fire this winter. So it seems logical to connect those two things, but you never know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know what goes on in Luis's head. Uh, I, I, I mean, I haven't personally been like, yo, what motivated you this winter? But it's kind of like just a consensus that if you become an NAU athlete and, you know, you're not working hard, then it's like, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, it's almost like I feel like a lot of people deserve like a pat on the back if they've been working hard or been working hard for a long time. But at NEU, it's it's ingrained, you know, you're expected to do that, you know, because that's just the way of life here. Um, and so, yeah, seeing Luis uh, come back in a way, that was reassuring to hear. And even C, too. Um, he really took his stuff seriously, it looked like. And, yeah, definitely came with a vengeance. I mean, if you want to talk about Luis and coming back with a vengeance, true story, when we got back, Literally the day after we drove back from Albuquerque, after we heard the meet was over, Luis was like, yo, I want to do a time trial on the Dome. And of course, Jordy and I were like, listen, dude, like this is smart. We would rather train. And I mean, and we're like, like, there's no need. Like, what do you need to do a time trial for? Like, there's not going to be a race. Like, what is it for? And Luis was just really adamant on doing a time trial. And then Smith came down. And so finally, after we tried to talk Luis out, he was like, no, I'm going to do a time trial. And it's like, okay. So we did a mile time trial. Theo Quacks paced them. Uh, Theo paced him to 700 meters in the dome. This is at 7,000 feet on a 300 meter flat track. Paced him 700 meters, and then then paced like the last like 400 with uh, Luis. And yeah, Luis ran. I'm not kidding you. A 402 in the dome unconverted. And so um, <laughs> I think part of I, I mean I, it was craziest thing I have ever seen. I looked over at Jordy. Jordy was just yeah. He, he it was just like. Like we've like that's a year we try to run a fast mile with a bunch of people and the best we got was like what four oh six and Luis did it with two people and even Theo was like I felt good through the two hundred and but uh, <laughs> I mean I felt good through the eight hundred but also I think it's just the emotion of him wanting to race too like like I feel like that also helped Luis propel him forward as well during that season um, but yeah like if you want to know. <laughs> Like what a dude with a chip on his shoulder and a vengeance does, they rip a four hundred two at seven thousand feet. So, yeah, I know he. I, every everybody took it hard that day, just wandering around the track. But I know he, in particular, uh, seemed very upset in Albuquerque. I remember he came over to to me and was like, "Hey, let's get a race together. Can you can you organize a race?" And I was like, "I'll do my best, man." Like he he was yeah. chopping at the bit. He he was ready to go. And again, I I just connect that back to to the fall when, when the, the, the pinnacle race didn't, didn't go his way, never got a chance to really show like the new, the new Luis Grijalva. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, I mean, the do ran the NCAA number one, the three K and it wasn't like, Oh, it was like a fast time. Like it was the sixth fastest time in indoor history, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the thing is like, it wasn't like a fifth year running it, you know, he's a red shirt. <laughs> he's a red shirt sophomore running it. So he was chomping at the bit knowing that he has time on the clock. And so, yeah, seeing him do that, it makes me really happy that I'm slowly on my way out of the program. <laughs> <laughs> and and 402, just for those watching home, that convert at 7,000 feet, that's like 353? Uh, yeah, 353. It would be the fastest time in uh, Dome history uh, if it was like a sanctioned event. Yeah, I think the fastest in the Dome was a – a 405 by the Diego Estrada. Um, mm. And then behind them would be me unofficially at a 404 
or sorry, Diego ran a 404. I ran a 405. And then Jordy ran a 406 last year when he was uh, in uniform. And then Luis just said, cool, hold my, you know, emergency. And then rips a 402. <laughs> that is, that is pretty crazy. I mean, I, that's just, I, when I, when we were in Albuquerque earlier this year, I'm not in any type of running shape, but for people who doubt altitude conversions, I coming from sea level, I rode my bike. We were going to film a workout with Wayne Kaladi of the New Mexico women's team. And at 5,000 feet of Al- Albuquerque, rode our bikes three miles. And when I got done with my bike ride, I thought I was going to hurl. I, it, it, I mean, I don't think any true runner is doubting altitude, Yeah. but, but 5,000 feet for someone coming from sea level hurts really bad. So 7,000 feet, I know Luis has been training there for years, but is is absolutely is no joke. So that's speaks for itself. That's that's incredibly impressive. Um, yeah, the domer d- demands respect, and uh, yeah, Luis was just like, "Cool, like yeah. I'm just gonna say backhanded." But yeah, no, it, was really, <laughs> it was really impressive to see. You know, it's just it kind of shows like a will of a person what he can do when you push yourselves. Like, yeah, you know, you got people like, oh, there's no way you could run that fast or anything. But if you put your mind to it and you have the motivation to it, you could do anything. Like run 402 at 7,000 feet in the dome. (laughs) Well, most of the time, most of the time, those sort of like running out of rage things never work. And they're never yeah. done. I mean, this is an extreme example because of, of the, the threat that's facing the world. But I think we've all been in a situation where, like, your buddy on the team has a bad race. And later on that afternoon, he's like, I know I can do it better or something happens or they're hurt or whatever. And then it just – it always goes horribly wrong. And this guy goes and runs a legit, like, sub – well under sub uh, four. It's nuts. The best thing was Smith was just like, hey, now, like – even though we're doing a time trial, just because you're pissed off, dude, you can't rip like the first two, like 200. You can't rip the first 800. So even Smith was like, hey, dude, I know you're pissed, but just be smart about it. And yeah, Luis like, like made it look like the easiest 402 mile I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> is, is a sub four coming on that track? Is a sub four possible? I mean, obviously people have run fast in the 340s for a mile, but can, can someone, can a college kid run sub sub four minutes on that track? You know, I have no idea, but if it is, it's, it's going to be a lumberjack. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I would love to be able to see it. I, I would love to say yes. I just don't know. I never thought it would be possible to go under 404. I thought that was like human capability right there, but Louisa said, nah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you're still considering your options, but in the sport, like, going forward what's what's going to be your your event i guess in the next like four years is it is it the ten thousand? are you thinking about going to the roads are you just looking at the track for the time being like what what's the uh i I guess not super long term but longish term uh plan for you as you move forward in your career yeah um for me i can see i can see it be like yeah be a 5k 10k guy um indoor indoors do a 3k 5k and then definitely work on my like lower high end speed so definitely throw myself in some miles to get uncomfortable but work on like my foot speed um but yeah in all seriousness i think yeah i could see myself be a 5k 10k guy and then slowly but surely or maybe moderately make a transition to the roads and also marathon and uh yeah do some marathon stuff i remember when i did the half marathon in vegas and I was done with, like, when I finished the race, I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be a marathon or that. Half marathon absolutely sucked. Um, but but I could I could definitely see myself uh, try marathons in the future. I could definitely see that happen. And then maybe even after, like, a, hopefully a long professional career, I could see myself do ultras and try to get a cool Western States 100-mile, oh, like, wow. um, just because, like, I think it'd be kind of cool to cap off, like, a cool running career with – yeah, you know, I started with the mile in junior high and I ended doing a hundred miles in Squaw Valley to get this cool belt buckle. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that would be after like pro stuff. That would be after, you know, whatever my prime was is gone. That would just kind of be like some funsy stuff, uh, something to challenge myself still. Um, but yeah, I feel like as a professional runner, I want to try to do 5k, 10k stuff. And then after runner, like when I'm a geezer or doing those fun run events, do anything from the mile to like 25 K's at Christmas or something like that. So, so you're a guy who enjoys actually running. You're not just in it cause you're good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, initially in the beginning, you know, I was, you know, in it cause I was good at it cause I failed at everything else <laughs> <laughs> athletically. 
I'm not going to say I'm the most athletically specimen looking dude on the block. Um, but the more I went into running, it was more of like an escape. It was more of a stress reliever. It was more of like, you know, something I actually look forward to in a day. So um, it's something I do thoroughly enjoy. Like I would still love to be the old dude still trying to be a try hard at these community races and telling people like, yo, back in my day, I used to do this quite a bit. I'm like, all right, cool, dude. Like whatever. So, well, in our current state, there's a lot of people now rediscovering running or finding running maybe for the first time because it's a activity that you can do solo and people are desiring fresh air. I know you said you're on a break right now, but do you think it'll like kind of rekindle the, the simplistic nature of the sport and maybe the, the, the foundation of, of why you loved it in the first place? Yeah, I, I could see it. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see it be like that. I mean, not like a widespread movement, like the movie and uh, like the movie Forrest Gump, where when Forrest started running halfway across the United States, everyone decided to hop on and start running with him and he ends at Monument Valley. But I feel that, you know, with this quarantine lifestyle, people are getting stir crazy because it's not like you're at home chilling be like oh maybe i just want to chill at a movie theater i'm still inside you know movie theaters are closed or oh maybe i just want to meet a friend outside at like johnny rockets and have a burger well johnny rockets is closed right now you know so i think like when you're confined to your home and hbo and cartoon network are really helping so far i think yeah it makes people want to go out and do something active i've seen you know my dad and i went frisbee golfing yesterday and yeah there was a bunch of people doing frisbee golf there's more kids at the playground than I've ever seen. Granted, I think the CDC is having a heart attack seeing a bunch of kids in one area, but just seeing yeah. them, you know, like <laughs> out, like 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 seeing them out and about, and just having like you know fun. Like I feel like a lot of people like you know try to find their own fun when everything's gone. So yeah, I think yeah, running if that bring like if that helps you get out of the house, like yeah, so like do it. And hopefully when this quarantining lifestyle is done, hopefully still keep on with running. It's a it's a great sport. It brought me to so many great places, made me meet so many great people, but also just, I feel for me, made me like so much of a better person just cause I was able to run. So we got, uh, we got an email from a, from a listener a couple of days ago. They were t- talking about virtual five K's or virtual distance races and how that's a thing. So people can still, still race. And, and Lincoln asked me at the time, well, if you could do a virtual five K anywhere in the world, like you didn't have to be under quarantine, but you had to do a virtual five, five K, um, where would where would you do it? And I want to ask you that same thing. Not necessarily a track, but where, where's your five favorite stretch of uh, stretch of five kilometers? Um, I would say for nostalgia case, I would set one at Buffalo Park because it would be the easiest five k I would ever run at Buffalo Park because I don't have to run in that gravel race on that gravel area or feel the elevation effects of it because it'll just be in my mind. Um, <laughs> so I would say Buffalo Park is probably the quickest five k I'll ever run at Buffalo Park in my life. Um, and I think another would be somewhere in Ireland, you know, you know, St. Patrick's Day just passed and kind of felt a little bit of a little heritage bone to me. And so, yeah, I'd probably do a 5k somewhere in Ireland. Uh, but other than that, I think, yeah, probably just revisit old courses I ran in high school and try to virtually run it there too. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't really have a lot of places cause I haven't really traveled far and ran at a bunch of places, but yeah, I would say those are just kind of a handful of places when you were talking about ireland that got me thinking and obviously you're you're famous for not not all irish people this is a misconception not all irish people have red hair we, we know that true but with with your five thousand time do you know or have you looked are you the fastest redhead of all time so uh shout out to our freshman only team it is caleb and drew uh yeah caleb easton and drew bosley and even you know Corey Corey gorgas um, they came up to me after I ran that 5k and they're like, yo, T-Day, are you like the fastest redhead in the 5k? And I'm like, that's such a silly question. But we were wondering, and I was like, actually, I'm pretty sure I'm not. Cause I believe, I think Matt Tegenkamp ripped a really fast 5k sometime. And Matt Tegenkamp is a really fast redhead. Um, that's true. I know there's not a lot of us out there. I wish there's more. So if you redheads are out there, keep it going, keep the lineage going. Uh, we're a dying breed. Um, but yeah, no, I have to say my bet is like Tegan camp. I'm pretty sure if you look through the files, I'm pretty sure. He, I mean, he already has what an American record in the two mile, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like if you could rip a two mile, an extra mile would probably put you under a 13, 16 time somewhere on he's, there. He's run what? 1257. So yeah, he would, <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah. would have you. 
So it's yeah, something to shoot for. Something oh yeah, for, for sure. I mean, second best is cool, you know. <laughs> we're into the we're into the later parts of this episode, so we're getting to the weird questions. And and I, I, one thing I've always wanted to ask you. Yeah, you, your hair. Uh, do you cut it like <laughs> once every two years? What's your process with your hair? So the originally when I grew up, my hair uh, it was in rebellion to my mom because um, yeah, there's a. I don't know if you guys be able to find it. I want to leave that to you, sleuths. But in high school, uh, my hair was kind of growing out, and my mom absolutely hated my bangs. And I was like, I know if you cut my bangs, it's gonna look super bad. And yeah, my mom was super, you know, upfront about it. And yeah, she cut my bangs. So my senior year photo is actually like, a, I look like an albino Beatles member from the Beatles. <laughs> like, and everything. And so, yeah, when I got into college, I was like, no one's going to cut my bangs. I'm going to grow out my hair and it's going to look amazing. And I thought it looked amazing, but everyone else on the team were just like, dude, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, so the first time I grew out my hair, it was in rebellion, you know, you moved into college. Some people, you know, go on ragers. Some people do some, you know, illegal acts. I just grew up my hair. Um, and uh, yeah. And then the second time I grew up my hair, I think it was just, I was contemplating whether I should be growing out my hair. Next thing I know, two years pass and my hair is already long. So um, yeah, I think it was just, my hair grows really fast. So I think it just, I just let it happen. Plus I think I just really wanted to be like Jordy so bad. And so yeah. I think that's why I grew it out the second time too. Cause I mean, Jordy Beamish, everybody like, He's, 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 he's good. He's good. So, well, let's, let's do, I've, I've asked you a couple times to do some rankings. Let's, we, we've got Jordy long hair, Luis long hair, you at times long hair. Am I missing some, who else? Theo Clax is in his process oh, of Theo. growing it out. Theo, Theo. yeah. And then um, we're trying to get Ryan Rop to grow out his hair. He always refuses to do so. It kind of grows out into like a little Afro uh, esque, but we're trying to get Ryan Rop, the quiet assassin to uh, grow out his hair. So, <laughs> Be on the lookout on the come up. If if, <laughs> if, you, if you could do an on the rise episode on anyone, Ryan Rob's hair for sure. <laughs> and I, I never in, in my running day, like I, my hair was longer than it is now, but like it, it never was anywhere near the length you guys have had it. Is it a nuisance? Like, does it get old? I know you, you have headbands and ponytails, but like, is, does, yeah. it get, does it get old? The worst is when it especially happens my freshman year not so much my uh sophomore or junior year when i was growing it out again because i was smart enough to do this but yeah whenever i was at the mess hall and i would be you know eating my pancakes my hair would always fall in the syrup so my ass would be oh like would be coming in syrup and i'll just look like an idiot going to my 8 a.m class so yeah nuisance was like eating wise you know sometimes you eat your hair and you're like that was an idiot or sometimes it falls in your syrup uh but yeah, I learned that whenever I ate now, I could just put it up. But the one thing I even told everybody, I even told my sister this when we were starting, I was like, I'm only wearing my hair up for practical reasons, not for a fashion sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I look absolutely silly in a man bun. Jordy could obviously pull it off. Theo, whenever he wants to, can pull it off. Sometimes there's like a top knot that looks like a Teletubby and you're like, dude, that doesn't look cool. And then... Uh, and then, like, Louise pulls it off. Um, but for me, I was just like, yeah, I don't think I look good in a man bun. So I only use it for running reasons. Every other reason is always, you know, hair down, you know, party all over, not no business whatsoever. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, I, have, I haven't tried the headband. Um, I, I wish I probably would have. I think I would look like, you know, Diego Estrada when he was at NAU. But, again, I, I just don't think I look that uh, – angelic like i always imagine myself whenever i ran with long hair i look like daniel davis and last of the mohians mm. but i looked at pictures and i look far from it i look i look like an off brand of it so <laughs> what is what's tomorrow and the next day going to look like for you everybody's been posting their routines and how they're getting through it can you give me a a day in the life of tyler day in this new reality that we currently reside in all right. So in the world of T-Day, quarantine edition, um, I so I'm going to wake up. I'm probably going to do shoot for like an eight mile run on the canals down here in Phoenix. And then, uh, yeah, get my stuff together here and then drive up to Flagstaff. Um, and then, yeah, touch base with the coaches to see, you know, what's up. Uh, touch base with the teammates to see what's up. Um, probably watch some Netflix movies tomorrow once I get back to Flagstaff. Um, I might watch, I have the DVD Joker, uh, and my roommate, Ryan Wolf, he used to be on the team, hasn't seen it yet. So I'm planning on having a movie date with him. Um, and then the next day I'll probably, so that would be Sunday. 
I'm probably going to take tomorrow off, probably do some core stuff or say I'm going to do some core stuff, but theoretically I might be just be eating like tortillas on the couch. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's just kind of like, yeah. So I think mainly just one thing is just, yeah, drive up, like pop up to Flagstaff uh, tomorrow and then, yeah, kind of get some stuff together and uh, yeah, start my online class <laughs> or, or continue my online class and try to get some homework done. So you're going to stay, I apologize if you said this earlier, but you're going to stay in Flagstaff while you're doing the online courses. Yeah. And, and also kind of training too, because down here down in Phoenix, down here in the Valley, um, all the gyms are like closed and everything. And up at NAU, we're able to use our key card in the dome. And I know the dome has obviously our track and obviously they have like stationary bikes too. So if I need to have like a run and a bike, I can do it in the dome. And I have like more resources and also um, the education wing at the HLC. So the HLC where a student athletes go to like get homework done or see your advisors. I'm in contact with like my advisors to see if I need to do anything more till graduation. So um, for me, uh, athletically wise and training wise, there's more to do in Flagstaff, which is funny because it's all snowed right now and all the roads are like closed and everything, like all the businesses and eatery places up there are closed as well. But Training-wise, there's more opportunities to train up there than it is uh, down here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Tyler, that's all I got. Thank you uh, so much for, for taking some time, for, for hopping on. I know it's a very stressful time for all of us and, and for you in particular with what happened a couple of weeks, but we, we appreciate you chatting with us. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Sorry if I've been blabbering for some questions over the time limit, but yeah, no, no, appreciate good. it. Thanks for having me on. All we have is time right now. <laughs> basically it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are, we are good. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I wish you the same. Best of luck going forward. Stay safe uh, and appreciate the time. For sure. Yeah. Thank you guys. Wash your hands and keep your hands to yourself.